How many thought that was very interesting? Somewhere along the line, you know, if you go back to Deuteronomy, what does Deuteronomy exhort every father to do? Teach your children. But what were they to teach? Who God is. What God has done. To, re-relate, to reiterate and to relate the stories of the miracles of God. Can you imagine? Just, just, just for a second, put on your thinking caps just for a moment. Can you imagine sitting around the table at dinner and Grandpa telling you all those miracles, first-hand miracles that he experienced? I, I mean, just I, I, think of the miracles that you see in the Old Testament. The stories of creation that were passed on from generation to generation to generation. Miracles of God passed on generation to generation to generation. The mercy of God. The forgiveness of God. The love of God that was passed on from generation to generation to generation. Whose responsibility was that? What? Fathers. The fathers were to sit around and tell the stories of who God is to their kids. And I can't help but believe that somewhere along the line, fathers shook off their responsibility and no longer talked about who God is and what God has done. If you would, just for a few moments, I said I was going to preach this morning, I'm going to just for a moment or at least share some scripture. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. When I think of what God has commanded fathers to do, and how we've gotten away from it, I think that's a large part of how we ended up where we're at today in our world. Is that we're not passing on the principles of who God is. Every time I come across Psalm 85, there's both joy and a sense of fear, maybe even. And a sense of hope. But I want to read through Psalm 85 and just make a few remarks about it. Here, if I get my pages from sticking. Beginning of verse 1 says, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. And then there's that word selah, which means what? Just stop. Think about that for a minute. Think about what God has done. Verse 3, you have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Verse 4, restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And your land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and shall make His footsteps our pathway. If you'll, read, if you'll notice just for a moment as you're going through Psalm 85 and as the psalmist is referring to his land, I, I think there's a lot that we can relate to. But you notice that one thing that stands out in this psalm specifically is how the tenses change. 
the tenses change. Somewhere along the line, he, say, he starts off by saying, Lord, you what? What's the past tense, right? Have been. And if you look at the nation of our, uh, our nation itself, Lord, you have been. We have experienced God's grace, have we not? As a country, God has, like, to me in my mind, He has withheld judgment and, and great judgment. And, you know, it's just a matter of time before I think things explode and get out of control. But whether it is or isn't, He says, Lord, you have been. And there's no doubt when we look back and we say, we got, God, we've experienced your grace. We've experienced your mercy. We look back and we see the great revivals that went across our land and how people got saved and how people turned their hearts. And you know, I think of some of the evangelists that went through, through our country and they, as, they, as they would come to town, bars would shut down and, and churches would be filled. And I mean, that was what was happening in our country. I mean, whether you agree with all the doctrine of Charles Finney, but when he came to Rochester, things happened when he came here. But that's all yesteryear. You have been. Past tense. Then he goes, you have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven iniquity. We look back and he says, yeah, you know, we can see that God has been gracious to us. He has offered his forgiveness. Think about it. So he's saying here, just stop and think about it. How gracious God has been in giving us forgiveness. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. But somewhere between verses 3 and verse 4, there is a change that takes place. I don't know if you caught that. So verse 3 says, you have been. I'm sorry, verse 1 says, Lord, you have been. Verse 2, you have. Uh, verse, middle verse 2, you have. Verse 3, you have taken away. You have turned. But now he's saying, verse 4, restore us. Why would he have to restore us if he's already done all these things? Because the very fact in the sentence saying restore us, it presupposes the fact that there's been a change that's taken place. And so now he says, Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. Wait a minute. Verse 3, he already says, You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Now he's asking us, asking them to remove the anger again. Why? Because there's been a change that has taken place. In verse 5, he asks a very interesting question. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? I mean, God, how long? I mean, just the very fact that he's asking this question about God's anger, there's something that has taken place, and, they're asking, and he's asking God, how long is your anger going to be experienced upon us? How long are we going to have to go through this? Why? Because there's been a change. In verse 6, will you not revive us again? Well, what's the point of that? Because we're experiencing something totally different than what we had in the past. Can you see the kind of the parallels that's just going along with America today? And this, I mean, he's talking about his land in that day, and it's so similar to what we're experiencing today in our day. In verse 7, he says, Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. He's wanting something different. So you see the past tense. You see the things that he's wanting to have happened, happen. And then verse 8, he, you see almost a commitment to the response that he's hoping to see from God. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. 
Surely the salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. He said, I'm making a commitment. I will hear. You know, we live in a world today where people will not listen. Anybody else see it? I don't want to listen to reason. I don't want to listen to truth. I have my own truth. I have my own opinions. I have my own thoughts. And I don't really care. I mean, we're seeing it all over the place today. We, we just seen, I mean, things get leaked out of, uh, out of the Supreme Court and, and, and people are having a heyday with it. Opinions. Everybody's got one. But we're living in a day where people will not listen to truth. And the psalmist says here, I will hear what God the Lord will speak for. He will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But he says, don't let them turn back to the folly. Don't let them do it. Surely is salvation. And then he reiterates the truth, beginning verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. So the question is, what is good? All those things that he asked for. All those things that he's asking God to do. And it really comes down to things. He said, restore us, verse 4. Verse 5, cease your anger. Verse 6, revive us. And verse 7, show mercy to us. And I believe that's what he's saying. The Lord will show good. The Lord will do these things. And then verse 13 says, Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. I don't know. When you see things like what we just saw and what was the foundation of our country, what's the answer? What is, what is it that we should be doing that, that we're not doing? I think there's several things. Second Chronicles 7. Go back there. It's a familiar verse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. The Second Chronicles 7. Just one more page here. Verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Question, how many of you believe that God can still do that today? If God says, if my people who are called by my name will do these things, He says, I will do this. I am absolutely convinced that we don't pray as we ought. I've been asking this question for a couple weeks. Why is it that we don't see the power of God at work? Why is it that we're not seeing people saved? Why is it that we're not operating under the power of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives? And we're okay with that. I mean, we came to church today. Oh, well, if God speaks to my heart, great. If He doesn't, great. We're going to go home. But why is that church today? Why is it that we're okay with status quo? Does anybody else sense it? I sense it. When's the last time we saw a Holy Ghost movement? Oh, wait a minute, we don't want to get confused with the Pentecostals. When's the last time we sense God do something? When's the last time we begged God to do something? And I don't think it's going to be a sweeping revival. I think it's going to be life-touching life, person connecting with person, and, and people standing up for what they know is right and what they believe God to have said. And we're going to proclaim that. Why are we okay with it not happening? 
There are so many expectations that I believe that God had for the early church that we have just let go to the wayside. Let me give you another one. God's Word says when you pray. Not if you pray. When? Remember that? It says when you pray. Go in your closet. You're not to make a big deal about it. Just go do it. Not if you pray. When you pray. And then he says if you... No, wait. No, he didn't say that. He said when you give. Right? He didn't say if you give. He said when you give. Not to do it so everybody knows about it, but do it. And then there's that third one that we absolutely hate and despise. When you fast. Wait, wait a minute. He didn't really say that. Yeah, he did. When you fast. Not if you fast. When you fast. Three expectations that God's Word exclaimed to the early church. We're okay with giving. We're okay with praying. Didn't God's Word say that without fasting, some of these things won't happen? But we don't, we don't want to talk about that one. That's the red-headed stepchild. We don't deal with that one. That's like talking about politics in, in, a, in a Christian faith. We don't do that. And we're okay with that. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. When's the last time we honestly, and I want you to think about this in your heart. I'm almost done. When's the last time in our heart we went before God and said, God, I'm worse than I think I am. My sin, my sin is greater than I think it is. I don't pray as I ought. I don't read God's Word as I ought. I don't share my faith as I ought. I don't study God's Word. I don't, I, I, there's just so many things that I'm just, I'm just coasting through life. Yeah, I go to church on Sunday. I might help out a little bit, but I just, I'm just coasting. And humble yourself before God and say, God, this is who you know me to be. And God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Change my heart. Give me a desire to want to do these things. And then really seek His face. What are we seeking His face for? Mercy. Grace. People to be saved, discipled, baptized, growing. Turn from our wicked ways. Well, we don't have wicked ways. That's other people. Do you know what an idol is? In your mind, do you know what an idol is? An idol is anything that we give more time and attention and focus to. Anything that we give more time, attention, and focus to than God has a potential of being an idol in our life. Some of us have a lot of idols. Wickedness that has crept into our lives and has taken the place of our devotion to God. We don't pray because we're too busy watching TV. We don't read our Bible because we're too busy thinking about other hobbies and interests. We don't really... Do we really... 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved. Oh, wait a minute, that's for preachers. Preachers do that. Deacons do that. Sunday school teachers do that. That's not for me. Really? Humble themselves, pray, seek his face, turn from their ways, then I will hear from heaven. Unless there's a change on our part to draw near to God. And he says, if you draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. And until we are willing to do that, why would we expect God to do anything? Why would we expect this country to be any different than what it is? We need to get back to spending time with God and spending time seeking his face. Lord, I pray that you would 
impress upon our hearts this day. That yes, this is the 4th of July weekend, but Lord, it's just a reminder as we were, as we just saw, Lord, that it should be a, also a time to draw near to you and to thank you for what you have done. You sent your son to die on the cross, dear Father. He shed his blood for our sins. Gave us a gift and salvation, eternal life. Gives us hope, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would impress upon our hearts the desire to know you more, to fellowship with you more, to draw close to you more. And that we might not just keep it private, but that we would share it with others. God, give us these desires. That we would honestly acknowledge who we are before a holy God. And beg for your forgiveness. That we might turn from our own wickedness and idolatry. God, would you do a work in our lives, Lord, that we cannot do in ourselves? God, would you change our hearts? Would you bring a revival, Lord? The psalmist asked for four things, Lord. He asked that you would restore us. God, I pray that you would restore us as a nation, that we would once again be a Christian nation, based on the principles found in God's Word. Then the psalmist asked that you would cease from your anger. Lord, we are observing... Maybe not enough. The results of anger. Your anger. Why would we, God, expect anything different than what's happening when we are forsaken as a country, your principles? Lord, will you revive us again? And would you show us your mercy? As the psalmist prayed for these things, Lord, we pray for these things for the United States, for the world. I pray that you put a burning desire within us, Lord, to share your love with others. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just an opportunity once again to respond as we do each and every week. Maybe you're here this morning. Say, this is all new to me. This is different. This is not what I've heard. This is unique. Well, can I say it starts with salvation. It starts with truly knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not really sure what that means. It means you've acknowledged that you're a sinner, that Christ has died for your sins, and that He loved you so much that He invited you to be a part of His family by putting your faith and trust in Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've never done that but I'm concerned. Anyone like that this morning? I'm not embarrassed you, not call you out. But you say, Pastor, I'm concerned that I may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? And the second question is this. Are you walking in fellowship with Jesus? Are you praying with Him? Spending time with Him? Learning His heart through His Word? and fellowshipping through communication with Him by praying. Fathers, are you teaching your children, your grandchildren, who God is? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Some things need to change. Anyone like that this morning? Pray for me. Yes, yes, yes. We need to get back to what our country was founded on, the Word of God. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes. 
Lord God, as we come before you, we are so grateful for what you have done. We are grateful, Lord, that you have given us mercy and grace and forgiveness and patience and long-suffering. You have been so kind to us. And Lord, we as a nation have turned our back. Thank you for those who are still standing for truth. Thank you for each one who is still teaching their children who God is and what God has done. But I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would may renew our commitment to your word and to studying it and to applying its principles to our lives. Be for each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that you would just, Lord, first of all, may we sense you, the, the, your presence in our lives. May your word speak to us. But God, grant victory in these areas for all of us. And Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities to share our faith, that we may one by one teach others who you are, and that our nation will turn our hearts back to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.